The Politics, Politics, Politics podcast is brought to you by you. No, I'm serious. You. Wait, unless are you not a member at TakePoliticsSeriously.com? Well, if you're not, fix that right now. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You get bonus episodes. You get to find out about things that other people don't find out about on Mondays and Fridays, not just on Wednesdays. And most importantly, you'll get advanced warning about who I am. Why am I here? Where's Justin? Let's start the show. friends. Justin Robert Young is off on a well-deserved vacation, but the politics doesn't stop. The politics doesn't stop, nor does the politics stop. And I'm here to help fill in the gap. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. My name is Tom Merritt, host of the Daily Tech News Show, host of Cord Killers, Current Geeks, Sword and Laser, East Meets West. Let's talk about Star Wars. I'll shut up now. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff I do. If you want to know a little more about my political background, well, if you're a patron, you heard all about it on the Monday Bonus Show. Uh, The short version is I had an internship with a political journalism organization back in the 90s. I've been following this whole politics thing for a long while, and politics, politics, politics is one of my go-tos for keeping up with what's going on in this great old world. So today I'll bring a little bit of the technology into the politics for you over from the Daily Tech News Show. Uh, we've got a, a gift, a gift that was given to me by the president, the speaker and, uh, Senator Schumer. Oh my goodness. I uh, can't wait to talk a little bit about that, but we're going to get right into things using an email. Kyle in green Bay, uh, listened to the Patreon exclusive on Monday and said, Hey, great first episode. I loved the international stories. We can get more of that today, too. I would like some info on the Huawei situation from a political and technology perspective. I have only heard about the story from tech sites so far. Maybe a blurb on the next PX3 Extra. Well, I'm just going to give it to everybody. Uh, it appears to be really big news, but no one political that I follow has even mentioned it. So, yeah, we got we got some hardcore politics stuff. But let's start with the Huawei deal, because I know a lot of folks out there, eh, maybe you listen to Daily Tech News Show, but a lot of you don't. And a lot of you may be like, well, what is Huawei? What does this mean? I know trade war. Brief recap. Last week, the United States Department of Commerce added Huawei to what's called an entity list. That prevents Huawei from acquiring U.S. technology without approval. Why does this matter? Huawei is, depending on how you measure it, either the biggest or one of the five biggest phone manufacturers in the world. They're a Chinese company. Uh, They sell handsets all over the world. They are coming for you, Samsung and Apple. Uh, Becoming more and more popular, the latest P30 Pro phone is widely reviewed as the best phone on the market right now amongst flagship phones. But more importantly, and what causes this trade problem, is they're a provider of networking infrastructure. This is the stuff you don't see. This is the stuff your ISP buys. Big old routers and switches and network servers that they need to run their networks. And of course, with 5G service rolling out, that's that faster wireless service. A lot of people are buying new equipment. And the United States is worried if they buy that equipment from Huawei. A lot of debate. 
over whether that's a real fear or not. Justin's had some good interviews about this because there's no evidence that Huawei has ever done anything malicious. There have been some vulnerabilities, but there's vulnerabilities in all software. Just having vulnerabilities is, is a cost of doing business if you're, if you're in the technology world, first of all. And you can argue because the UK has an organization dedicated to reviewing Huawei equipment to make sure it's safe to use in networking. You could argue that they're incompetent. That's kind of what the UK found. They didn't say it so meanly. The UK organization that looks at this said, well, we didn't find anything malicious. They're pretty slow on fixing their vulnerabilities. They have some vulnerabilities that maybe shouldn't be there. Uh, but at worst, you can say they're just not as good at this as they should be. So there's no hard evidence. So you may think, well, okay, uh, then why not trust Huawei? Well, it all revolves around the fact that they're in China. First of all, any Chinese company has to cooperate with the government and therefore the Communist Party to some extent. But of course, uh, the United States isn't going after Lenovo. Lenovo is a Chinese company. They're not, they're not going after every Chinese company. They're going after Huawei. And what particularly about Huawei bugs them is the CEO and founder, Ren Zhengfei, who's a former People's Liberation Army member. Now, a lot of people are former army members and then go on to found companies. But there is suspicions around his connections and who he's connected with and what he might do. And so it's all about worry of what might happen. The United States intelligence services are convinced. We don't know what they know, but they are convinced that if you put networking equipment from Huawei in your network, it is susceptible to intercepts. Because with any networking equipment, the manufacturer often pushes firmware updates out. Now, it's not as simple as uh, Huawei in their, you know, evil tower can just push a malicious update and all the servers turn have red eyes and turn against you. It's not like that. Uh, telecommunication companies will vet these firmware updates before they put them on. But it's possible that something slips through. Uh, it's possible that a vulnerability that appears to not be malicious maybe is taken advantage of. These are... These are small worries. These are these are if you if you're not worried about someone spying on you, they're they're unlikely worries. But in the world of international espionage and with relations between China and the United States being what they are, they are significant worries. And they have caused the United States to decide to call out Huawei. Now they did this before. Last year, the United States put ZTE. They're another handset maker and, and network equipment maker, not nearly as big as Huawei. They put ZTE on the entity list. ZTE shut down operations while it negotiated a new agreement. And now ZTE's back in business and everything's hunky-dory, but they had to agree to a lot of oversight from the United States. So that seems like now it was a test run for Huawei. Huawei is a much bigger operation. Huawei has handset sales outside of the United States. Uh, Huawei also owns their own chip maker. Uh, uh, they, they, can, they can make their own chips. There's also sources telling Bloomberg that uh, Huawei has stockpiled three months worth of chips from U.S. companies. So even if they're blocked from buying these chips, uh, they, can, they can survive for a while on the stocks they have in place. And uh, they've been cut off by Intel, Qualcomm, 
big companies. I'm not going to go through them all, but the companies that make the parts, the Gorilla Glass, the people who make Gorilla Glass are U.S. They can't sell Gorilla Glass. So they have to find alternatives to all of those, some easier than others. <clears throat> There's a Japanese company that makes a, a pretty darn good glass they can go to. Okay, that's fine. That's even being used in the new Google Pixel 3a. But finding parts and integrating them into your supply chain and making sure they all work together are two different things. So Huawei is putting on a brave face. They're saying, eh, we got stockpiled parts. Well, they're not saying that, but they, you know, they're saying, well, we'll be fine. We'll make it through. Meanwhile, Google provides the operating system that Huawei uses. Now, this is interesting too, because in China, Google uses Android as an open source project. The Android operating system is made freely available for anyone to use, but it doesn't have any of Google's stuff in it. That's what Huawei does in China because Google doesn't operate in China. But outside of China, it uses the Android that is on all the Android phones you probably know that has Google Search, the Google Play Store, Gmail apps, all of that stuff. Well, Google has just said, we're not allowed to, to do this anymore, so you're cut off. Now, this doesn't affect existing phones. If a Huawei phone has been made with Google Android on it, it's fine. It'll continue to work. What it does affect is future updates. And this is a little tricky to understand, uh, but your security updates that patch vulnerabilities, because I just said all software has vulnerabilities that have to be patched, usually comes from Google to the manufacturers so they can get it all set up and ready to push out. And then it goes to the open source project. If Huawei is no longer allowed to get anything from Google, if Google is not allowed to have Huawei as a customer, then Huawei has to wait for those security updates to show up on the open source project, which introduces a delay, which means their customers are less secure, which means their customers are less likely to want to have those phones. However, earlier this week, the U.S. Commerce Department granted Huawei a temporary license. Now, the Commerce Department says this is to prevent the interruption of service on existing networks and gear. And the reason for that is in the United States, several smaller ISPs, especially ISPs that work in rural areas, have used the more affordable Huawei equipment to build their networks. And they're saying, hey, if something goes down with one of our pieces, we need to buy a replacement piece from Huawei. We need to contact them for technical support. We need to figure this out. So the Commerce Department is giving them 90 days license to continue to do business with Huawei in order to maintain their gear. But the Commerce Department is saying this will give you a chance to stop using that gear. I'm not sure how practical that is. If you're a small ISP, you don't have budget to replace everything, but all right. It also will allow Huawei to get security updates directly from Google. It's a little confusing whether the Commerce Department's temporary 90-day license lets them buy the chips, especially because today the BBC has an article saying that a major chip designer named Arm is no longer doing business with Huawei even though this 90-day license came out yesterday. So the chip makers may be saying, eh, I'm not sure this applies to us. And ARM doesn't even make the chips. ARM licenses it design, its designs. And remember when I said Huawei owns its own chip maker? Well, guess whose designs it licenses to make all its chips? You guessed it, ARM. So if ARM cuts them off, they can no longer develop new components for existing designs they can still manufacture their current designs and they can't get new chips so if you're still if your heads whirring a little bit here the short version of this is the united states has made it extraordinarily difficult for huawei to do business because much of the parts it needs and the software it needs comes through the united states 
And Huawei says that it can it can make its way through this. It says, oh, we're going to work this out with ARM. Uh, like I said, the rumor is they have a stockpile. But the question is whether that matters or not. Is Huawei going to be able to survive this when, for instance, two carriers in the United Kingdom, Vodafone and EE, have now said they're no longer going to offer these Huawei phones for pre-order on the 5G networks that they were previously taking pre-orders for? Japanese carriers have done the same thing. That's going to cut sales no matter whether you can build them or not. It's also a tech in Asia story today saying a lot of customers are turning to alternatives to Huawei phones because they just don't like the uncertainty. So it may be less about what the Department of Commerce actually allows Huawei to do with U.S. companies and more about the uncertainty at this point. If you're a Huawei user out there, Let's say you went and you bought a phone. No carriers carry them in the United States, but you can still buy them and put a SIM card in them and use them. If you have a phone right now, it should be fine. For 90 days, it's going to continue to get security updates. It will continue to be able to use all the Google Play stuff. You might not get the next version of Android, certainly not in a timely manner. Um, but maybe all this stuff gets uh, cleared up by then. Why is this happening, though? Let's let's move a little bit into the trade deal part of this. Uh, this is something that's not the technology part of it. Nikkei had an interesting article about this last week. Back in the beginning of May, China sent a trade deal draft to the United States. And that started all the problems. The draft at that point had been 150 pages. They sent back 105 pages. And that sent the president of the United States into a dizzy. They broke the deal! The trade war is back on. They didn't really break the deal because they hadn't agreed to the deal, but the deal was, by all accounts, about 90% there, and they sent back, looks like, about two-thirds of the deal. So they really rolled stuff back. Nikkei Asian Review suggests the following. Trade deals with the United States all focus around forbidding forced technology transfers. That's something where China... Uh, says, well, if you want to do business in partnership with a Chinese company, you have to transfer a lot of your technology to them. This, this would stop that practice uh, by both public and private means. Uh, there would be provisions against the theft, outright theft of foreign technology, which seems reasonable, uh, theft of intellectual property as well, and provisions against subsidies to state-owned enterprises and export subsidies given to any company, public or private. Now, especially... Those forced technology transfers and subsidies, oh, domestically, Chinese companies don't like that. The deal was led on the Chinese side by Vice Premier Liu He. It was 90% of the way there, we, as we said. But the theory is Liu overstepped. And the seven-member Politburo was not okay with where it was going. Now, remember, Xi Jinping is the head of China, but he is... One of seven on the Politburo, and if they don't all agree, they take a vote. And Xi only gets one vote on that committee. Usually Xi gets his way. He's been very good at consolidating power, but there's some feelings that maybe he's not as persuasive as he used to be. Apparently, at the Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation at the end of April, uh, Xi, unlike the previous year, was not parading around on TV all the time. He was barely showing up and, and, and kind of dour. And the Communist Party organs in China were printing things like an unequal treaty that codifies meddling in our domestic affairs into law is unacceptable. And even workers and management at state-owned companies who weren't party members 
uh, were unhappy about the trade deal. So a lot of domestic pressure on Xi Jinping. And it sounds like there was a little bit of a misstep in expectations that Xi and his negotiator, Liu He, thought they were going to be able to get close to something and then receive some pressure back home. And they didn't. That upset the United States. And now this whole thing is back on again. And China has a history of entering into unfavorable trade deals. China has a longer memory than a lot of countries. And so when they think back to the 1842 Treaty of Nanking with Great Britain, which ended the First Opium War, it's not fondly. When they think back to the 1895 Treaty of Shimonoseki, which ended the First Sino-Japanese War, the one where China gave Taiwan to Japan for a while, they don't think of that fondly. In fact, if you're a hardcore history fan, you've been hearing a lot about this in his talk about the Japanese side of World War II, especially in relation to China. So an unfavorable trade deal is a sensitive topic for China. Now, President Trump said he will meet with Xi in Osaka on the sidelines of the Group of 20 Leaders Summit. Two-day meeting begins June 28th. So we that, that's the next time we'll find out something about this trade deal. That's the, that's the next big step. In the meantime, Huawei is in a heap of trouble and is going to have to tread water real hard and hope that something happens in June that turns things towards them. I don't think Huawei stops business the way ZTE did. They're a bigger company. They have more resources to draw on, but it will hurt their business uh, no matter what. And that can have knock-on effects. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a, a worry about a dip in iPhone sales within China. Apple requires uh, good sales in China for their bottom line. And if people patriotically turn against American brands, uh, especially on the phone market because of Huawei, that could hurt. Uh, there, there also is going to be hurt to the bottom line of these suppliers who are no longer allowed to sell their chips to one of their major customers. Huawei is a huge company, billions of dollars in orders. That's going to hurt companies' bottom lines as well. So there are a lot of interested parties in getting this resolved. Uh, in fact, even outside of technology, uh, a lot of the shoemakers uh, recently wrote a letter saying, please stop the trade war. It's going to make our shoes more expensive. Uh, so, you know, typical stuff in, an, in a trade war. But that is a little bit about Huawei and a little bit about the background of what's going on there. Now, folks, I know that the free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com is not going on while Justin is not around. But that is no reason to not subscribe. Here's your chance. Get in and, and you'll get that, that fresh energy when Justin gets back. I subscribe. Lots of folks who I'm going to read emails later subscribe. You should subscribe to freepoliticalnewsletter.com. All right, let's move on to the cover-up. Oh, sorry. No, I didn't say that. Please leave. Oh, come back, Mr. President. Oh, don't go away, man. The president, the Speaker of the House, and Senator Chuck Schumer were supposed to have a nice meeting about infrastructure spending. Everybody agrees on infrastructure, right? We all need roads. We all need bridges. It's the kind of pork barrel spending that makes your constituents happy. What harm could possibly come from this? <laughs> Meeting lasted five minutes. Infrastructure wasn't even brought up. In fact, by all reports, uh, Speaker Pelosi and just Senator Schumer didn't even get a chance to say a thing. The president walked in and walked right back out mad and went right into the Rose Garden to make a statement condemning Democrats for their phony investigations said that he was suffering abuse uh, and he needs them to stop threatening impeachment. So what happened? Well, 
First, the president directed his former aide, Don McGahn, to ignore a congressional subpoena. Certainly not the first of the administration to be told to ignore a congressional subpoena, but the most recent. Now, we have on top of that a Republican representative who's now saying, I don't know, maybe I'm into impeachment. Talked about that on the Monday show. Could be a strategy. Could be someone who just really believes in impeachment. But either way, whatever the motivation, it is stoking the Democrats who are in favor of impeachment and putting the pressure on Speaker Pelosi to try to resist them because it is very apparent that her strategy is we're not going to push for impeachment because we think that gives a tool to the president that he can use to his advantage in campaigning. So there was a closed door meeting of the Democratic caucus, a chance for all the pro impeachment folks, Maxine Waters, AOC, to have their say. And apparently during this meeting, uh, Representative Pelosi said that, yes, the president is engaged in a cover up. Well, that's one thing to say in a closed door meeting. It does get out. But afterward, also told reporters, we do believe it's important to follow the facts. We believe that the president of the United States is engaged in a cover up in a cover up. Apparently, she said it twice, according to Politico. And that was the nature of the meeting. So she didn't use the word impeachment once to the reporters, even though that is the reported what the meeting was about. But she pushed the word cover up. Well, the president didn't cotton to those comments much. President does not like to be called a cover up and is very deftly using it as a way to make it seem like they're after him for impeachment, even though Nancy Pelosi bending backwards not to say the word impeachment. So when he went into this infrastructure meeting, he told the speaker that he wants to do infrastructure. He'd be great at doing infrastructure, but he's not going to get anything done with these Democrats until they end their congressional investigations. And until they do, he's not going to talk to them about anything else. Close the door. Goodbye. We're not going to engage in government with the Democrats, who, by the way, control the House of Representatives right now. So if you want to get something done with the president, you kind of have to talk to the Democrats in the House. He said, no, I'm not going to talk to you in these investigations. Afterward, of course, as you might expect, Senator Schumer and Speaker Pelosi had their own press conference. Speaker Pelosi said... He wasn't really respectful of the Congress and the White House working together. <laughs> Is that your perspective? Really? I'm surprised. I'm shocked. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, nobody's talking to each other. All of this is theater. They will eventually talk to each other. There's all kinds of back channels to get things done. Uh, but here we go. Here we go with another gamble. Another way to try to tilt those independents a little bit one way or another. Nancy Pelosi fighting the the impeachment wing of her party and the president trying to capitalize that one way or another to say, hey, look, I'm being unfairly accused here. Look at what they're doing. They're coming out, calling it a cover-up. I don't do cover-ups. Literal quote from the president. I don't do cover-ups. Fascinating. All right, you know what else is fascinating? The Ukraine. If you didn't listen to uh, the Monday Patreon show, Ukraine's new president, Volodymyr Zelensky, stars as a teacher who accidentally becomes president in a show called Servant of the People. Well, he did until he ran for president under a party called Servant of the People, the same name as his television show, and won. So he's now president of the Ukraine. He started announcing his, uh, his cabinet appointees. He appointed a script writer from his show, a co-founder of the studio that produces his show, and another producer on his show, 
with roles in his administration or, or as aides. He did try to appoint an experienced politician. Deputy Foreign Minister Olena Zirkel uh, was also appointed to the new presidential team, but reportedly turned down the role. So she is not going to be a servant of the people under President Zelensky. I think it's very interesting. Uh, you also see uh, President Putin over in Russia uh, making some noises about eastern Ukraine, particularly. Of course, Russia took over the Crimea from Ukraine, so that is a point of contention. Zelensky is is focusing on eastern Ukraine, saying we need to we need to uh, figure this out. We need to end this conflict right now, and Russia needs to do it. So that's going to be fun to watch. And he's going to do it with the people who got him there, or at least the people who produced and wrote the show that made him popular enough to get there. And finally, my favorite, (sighs) Brexit. (laughs) I'm sorry, UK, it's not funny. Uh, Prime Minister Theresa May facing growing calls to resign amid a backlash against her Brexit plan. If you haven't been following this, UK was supposed to leave the European Union because of a vote, a referendum, uh, where the people voted to say, yes, let's leave. They were supposed to leave March 29th. Country did not leave March 29th. Because here's the way I understand it. Europeans, feel free, the young American at gmail.com, uh, to, to write in with clarifications. But as I understand it, Theresa May negotiated an agreement with the European Union. There's two parts to it. There's a temporary measure. This isn't even the deal, by the way. A temporary measure that says these are the rules under which we will trade with the European Union while we figure out a permanent deal, while we nail down all the details. And a political declaration that that sort of says some of the same things. There, there are there's there's the stuff that's actually going to happen, and a political declaration that says and and while we do that, these are the kind of political relationships we'll have regarding uh, to trade and customs and whatnot. The big problem, the big sticking point to that deal is Ireland. Ireland has a unpoliced border right now between Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom, and the rest of Ireland, which was part of the Republic of Ireland. Because of the troubles in Ireland uh, throughout the 20th century, one of the advantages of both countries being in the European Union is it allowed the Good Friday Agreements to say, we'll just make this border transparent. We're all part of the same custom union, customs union anyway. We don't have to have customs officers. We don't have to have border checks. So there, there's nothing there. There's no border, no physical border between Northern Ireland and the rest of Ireland. Well, if the UK is no longer part of the European Union, that makes that a problem. This agreement that Theresa May negotiated with the European Union doesn't fix it. Uh, it created what is called a backstop. And I'm not even going to try to attempt to explain all the problems with this backstop. But essentially, it... It fudges things and says, well, until we figure out the whole Ireland thing, which technology will somehow fix, uh, we'll, we'll have this sort of customs union-ish thing. Well, the people who are for a, a firm British exit say, this leaves us in the customs union uh, without any end. There's no end to this. This backstop could never end. Europe, Europe, that's, that's no way to negotiate a new deal when Europe can just keep you in because of this Irish backstop. And the... DUP, which is the Unionist Party in Northern Ireland, is against this also because they say, no, we want Northern Ireland to be firmly part of the United Kingdom. When the United Kingdom leaves, we leave too. We're not going to leave us behind. And the DUP 
has a very important voice because Theresa May's conservative party does not have a majority in parliament. They are in coalition with the DUP. So they need the DUP's votes to get anything done. So they have to be nice to them, but they're not getting the DUP's votes on this. In fact, Theresa May has not been getting most of the conservative party's votes because she cannot get her stuff passed. Three times she has tried the same thing over and over and over. There's also been indicative votes. They're like, would you like a customs union? No. Would you like a new referendum? No. Would you like this? No, 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 no. The only votes on the parliament have been no. Three times to the deal and to any indicative vote about, well, what if we did this instead? So Theresa May's new plan was to go to the European Union, who, by the way, have said, we do not believe we are going to change this deal. This is the deal you get or you get no deal which is the what's called the hard Brexit, where there is no deal. Brexit leaves the European Union and they trade under World Trade Organization rules, which, you know, really aren't great for anyone. Those are sort of the default rules like, well, if you're going to trade, here's what you can do. That is not liked by anyone except hard Brexit uh, leavers who think that's the only way to really get Europe to the negotiating table is to have that as a threat and even go through it. They're like, eh, it won't be as bad as everybody says. And once we've gone through it, you'll find out that the UK will be able to have all these great deals with all these other countries and it's not going to be a problem. And it'll bring Europe to the table and we'll get a better deal with Europe. Some people will see that. They're a minority, but there are, there are enough of them that they're a voice. So Theresa May's plan is... Since she has gotten an extension, they didn't exit on March 29th. They now have until October 31st. She is going to, at the beginning of June, ask the parliament to vote again on the same deal. But with a cunning plan this time, she has tried to get labor members, the opposite party to the conservatives, over to her side by offering the possibility of a referendum, not even guaranteeing one, but saying, hey, we could vote on another referendum, which, by the way, already failed once when they voted on whether there should be another referendum. Or uh, we could we could do some more workers. You know, we'll, we'll protect, make sure, we'll guarantee that we can protect our workers going forward. It's also a little bit about me. Uh, we'll let a vote on customs union. Uh, closer customs union could be part of the, the future negotiations. Labor has basically said, no, <laughs> that's 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 not what we want. Uh, the promises of maybe this, maybe that, maybe we can vote anyway. Forget it. Although maybe a few Labor Party members might cross the aisle. Her plan is to try to get more of those Labor Party people to cross the aisle as she's losing more of her conservative party. Some members who voted for her deal in the past are now saying they won't vote for it. So the prime minister is facing growing calls to resign amid a backlash against her Brexit plan from conservative MPs. Others insist Theresa May should push on with her plan because they just like to see her suffer, I guess. Home Secretary Sajid Javid, who wants the second referendum vote requirement removed from the bill, and Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt have both requested a private meeting. That's not good. I think. The prime minister is, you know, I want to say she's not long for this world, but by goodness, I thought that was going to happen a long time ago. So who knows? Uh, It's just not looking good for her. All right, folks. It's that time to tell you all the things that are right with the world. Oh, my friends. 
The parade is on. It's back. It's not gone away. A confidential Internal Revenue Service legal memo says tax returns must be given to Congress unless the president takes the rare step of asserting executive privilege. So the gig is up. The debate is over. The tax returns are headed to Congress. Yeah, no, they're not. Uh, In fact, Secretary Mnuchin is out there saying, we're going to find out who wrote that memo. By the way, it's a draft and not our official opinion. No one would ever call Vice President Joe Biden an imbecile bereft of elementary quality as a human being, let alone a politician. (laughs) The the North Koreans would and did uh, in the North Korea propaganda. I guess it's kind of flattering to say North Korea thinks enough of you to insult you. It means you're a player. I think we all knew that already. Twitter understands its position in influencing the current political climate and is not, not, not going to point fingers. Now they're totally pointing fingers. Yeah. Twitter co-founder Ev Williams says Fox News is much more powerful and much more destructive than Twitter. He's a co-founder, though. Stockholder. Not necessarily currently working at Twitter, but still. Arkansas thinks weddings in the latest episode of the kids' show, Arthur, is lovely. Yeah, they don't. They banned it. They said no. You can't air, or at least the Arkansas Educational Television Network said, you can't air this on our PBS station. That ain't gonna happen. Joe Biden's bipartisan credentials are beyond question. He said in a speech he persuaded three Republican senators to support the economic stimulus that saved the country from catastrophe. Well, as Politico points out, Olympia Snow is retired, Arlen Specter is dead, and Susan Collins is not looking like she might survive a Democratic challenge the next year. So, uh, I mean, if those are your, your best. It's not looking good. Uh, Bernie's not worried that only soliciting small donations online is leaving money on the table. Yeah, the Vermont senator has decided to hold in-person fundraising events where donors of all means will be invited and the media will be allowed. He also hired a fundraiser to oversee the effort, a position he did not have in 2016. I I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. Probably is. It is a change. I don't know if it makes him hypocritical, but it's definitely a change in tactics. All right, folks, you know, you know what time it is. Oh, no, it's not that time. You know what time it is. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention to the... I can hear the music. Hey, anybody anybody in there? Folks, folks, I'm so so sorry. Justin did not leave the keys. There is no way into the club. We can't hate on it because we can't even get in the club. We're stuck out here on the street. And we only know one way to break down political data science. We're out on the street like some kind of fast and furious. What do we do with... The, we're out on the on the street. It's time for the pole position. Oh, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen. That is correct. It is time for a Quinnipiac poll. Yes, indeed. I'll pull that down a little bit. A Quinnipiac poll of the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates who are as rated by Democratic and leaning Democratic voters. 
Here's what the pole positions are. As we line up for the race. Fifth place. Just weaving right and left. Look, trying to get in front. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. 5%. Kamala Harris is back there as well. Weaving around. Looking, trying to get going. She's in here at 8%. Elizabeth Warren at 13%. Right near the front. Just blocking everybody out is Bernie Sanders at 16%. And then leading, leading the way, swerving around that track, 35%. It is your former vice president, Joe Biden. That is a 19-point lead for Senator Biden. All right, folks, let's get to your emails at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Michael Waugh. I say Waugh because we have a Michael Waugh and a Michael Woe. Uh, Michael Waugh says, I didn't realize Romney Republicans still existed. And I figured that if they did, they just turned their noses up at all TV news and went back to reading the Wall Street Journal. Romney Republicans. How do you respond? Yeah, the, no, there's a lot of them. Uh, the, the silent majority, Nixon used to call them. But they are out there. Uh, Michael Woe uh, just said a nice thing to say, like the pacing and the international stories from the Monday uh, exclusive. And he says, Justin, if you see this, stop looking at work and enjoy your break. We know Justin's listening and that's cool. And I hope that the poll position didn't drive you away, Justin. Thank you for letting me uh, fill in. Hey, folks, uh, that is it. I am is so, so honored that you allowed me to sit in and give you a little bit of a look at my slant on politics. We'll do it again next week, one more week, and then Justin is back after that. You can email us, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music provided by Valesco and Trop Killers. You can follow Justin Robert Young. He might give you a little tip of what's going on on his vacation, at Justin R. Young. You can follow me on Twitter, Ace Detect, A-C-E-D-T-E-C-T. Download archive episodes of this show at bonerwars.com. Remember, folks, no matter who's hosting this show, there are some shows that do politics, and there are some fill-in hosts who might be able to do politics, but Justin Robert Young is the only one who trusted me to do all three. Talk to you next week. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>